As you are making plans for your next few weeks, especially your July 4th weekend, we want to make sure you're aware of a change for our Sunday schedule for that Sunday only. On July 4th, that Sunday, we will only offer two worship gatherings that day. 8.30 a.m. in our sanctuary, 9.30 a.m. in our multi-purpose building. Sorry, nobody gets to sleep in late that day. Nothing will be offered during our 11 a.m. worship service time. Uh, we made this decision for several reasons. One, we have tracked our July 4th weekend attendance before COVID and before 2020, and we always have a difficult time filling up all of our volunteer roles for the multiple services. So this year, we're simplifying our, our worship gatherings for July 4th only, 8.30 and 9.30. With that said, let's stop here. Let's pray together for our story of redemption this week. God, thank you so much for the opportunity for us once again to step into a few of the moments uh, that shine so brightly of redemption. May we learn about our story uh, through reading your story. Uh, may we see our the significance of our redemption through the redemption of others in Scripture. May it rekindle a fire and a freshness and a courage and a boldness for us to share the story of redemption that we each have through Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for this opportunity uh, to, to celebrate and to worship through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, we introduced our summer teaching series, A Story of Redemption. It's the story of scripture. It's also my story, and it's your story. I hope you are working on placing these verses into your heart and into your mind from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Through these verses, we learn so much. We learn that redemption has a price and has a price to pay for someone, something to be rescued. According to scripture, the price that has been paid is Jesus Christ. In scripture, we also see over and over that those of us that are in need to be rescued, each and every one of us, why? Because of our sin and our separation from a holy God. The word for redemption in Ephesians means quite simply, a price is paid for the freedom of someone. A price is paid for the freedom of someone. Then last Sunday, we dove into the powerful, unexpected glimpse of redemption through Genesis 1-3. through It is in that moment that we grew to understand that redemption is the completion of grace and discipline. It's the completion of grace and discipline. I hope that that truth has echoed in your heart as much as it has mine. It has continued to teach me this week and show me this week in conversations and opportunities, discipline and grace. Because the reality is I run towards the grace and mercy of God, but I often run away from the discipline and the correction of God. But I need both. We need both grace and discipline in our redemption stories. This week, I wanna uncover another moment of redemption that reveals another powerful moment in the Bible. And today, 
we're going to be reminded of this simple truth. The story of redemption invites all of us into the story. Every single one of us. Today, our moment of redemption is on full display in an unexpected moment from an unexpected character in the book of Joshua. If you read ahead of time, you read chapters one through three. When you turn the page into the book of Joshua, it's more than the next book of the Bible. In fact, it is the movement, the shifting from one resilient leader, Moses, to a new leader, Joshua. So let me backtrack a bit. Moses has led the children of God, the Israelite people, out of their 400 plus years of slavery. They have experienced some miraculous moments, including the parting of the Red Sea, crossing on dry ground. They experienced multiple military victories, but they also experienced the consequences of their doubts. Their doubts in God and idol worship because they were then sentenced to 40 years of wandering in the desert as punishment. Generations have passed. Moses has died and his assistant, Joshua, would take the lead. He would now begin to lead them into the promised land. Joshua, at the beginning of the book, carrying his name, had been given commands to gather the people together to get ready to cross the Jordan River. Chapter 1 of Joshua contains an iconic phrase that has been used and quoted in, in multiple moments and in multiple outlets I've seen it, in people's homes in different places. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. This is more than a battle cry. It's more than a battle cry to empower the people. It is a reminder to be strong and courageous through the power of God, through the promises of God, a God of redemption. Now, as we walk through this story, I want to make sure that the story is clear for us. A massive fact moment of the book of Joshua in chapter 1 is the history of the people of Israel. They have been wandering around for 40 years in the desert because of their disobedience. It has been 40 years since the Red Sea parted, since their last military conquest. This is a people without a home. But now the time has come. The discipline and grace of redemption has occurred. It is now time for them, under the leadership of Joshua, to enter the land that God has promised. But prior to doing that, Joshua chose to send two spies to examine the land, especially the city of Jericho. As Joshua prepared, he sent two spies from Shittim into the city, and they found lodging with a harlot, a prostitute. Now, I had a hard time help trying to figure out how to teach this with children in the room. And we'll put it this way. How do you describe this lady named Rahab? She is a person who made really bad decisions in her relationships. The wording used to describe her means she had committed adultery and made poor choices. Rahab takes in these two spies that had been sent by Joshua. The Bible tells us that Rahab lived along the city wall. Quite literally, the walls of Jericho were large enough and wide enough that people lived in small dwellings tucked inside the walls. When the king of Jericho learns 
They two spies were in the city. He sends men to find them and he comes to Rahab's home. She lies to the men and tells them that they had left. Basically, she says to them, they went that way. Now, I know before you say it, she lied. We can discuss that later on if you'd like to, but she did. It's clear. She lied to them to protect them. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 through 7 reads like this. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly to Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed, at dark the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she said, But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Here's the story. Here's where this story becomes very interesting. As if a lying harlot spies and a hunt for them is not enough, here's a lady who is known for not having a great reputation, not making great choices in a city that's very immoral and evil. And Joshua sends two spies to size up the city. She protects them. And then this interaction is recorded for us in verses eight through 11. Before the men lay down, she came up from to them on the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to the Shion, to the Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. I read her testimony and want to shout, preach it. Think about this. Rahab has heard news from 40 years ago. What she accounts to these two spies, she tells them it happened 40 years ago but she didn't hear that they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. What she says is, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Time out. This moment is gonna call for a little bit of a rewind. Sometimes when you're watching a movie, the producer will give us the current situation 
of a character or a situation, and then they'll rewind the story to help us understand why is this moment so important? I wanna make sure you understand the magnitude of this moment. So let's step back 40 years. Moses is the leader and they are nearing the same promised land discussed in Joshua 1. Moses, the leader, he is pressured to send 12 spies, not two, into the land on a reconnaissance mission. In Numbers 13, the spies go to the land. They come back and they give a report to the people of God. Two of the spies declare, God has given us the land. Let us go up and take the land. Those two spies, Caleb and another young man named Joshua. He has been to the land 40 years before, but the other 10 spies, their report is vastly different. We cannot take the land. The enemy is too strong. They are giant to us. We are little grasshoppers, scripture says. They even go so far as to say, it would be better to be in slavery again than to take Jericho. So for their disobedience and their lack of trust in God, they wander for 40 years. Up to our moment in Joshua 2. We have Joshua, the leader. He sends two spies into the land and the king of Jericho knows what's happening. He goes to the place, Rahab's home. She protects them by lying. And then she proclaims to them, your God is the God of heaven above and the earth beneath. And what does she do? She tells them their story of redemption from 40 years ago. How did she know this? She'd heard that the God of the Israelites had brought them across a dried up and divided Red Sea 40 years ago. She had learned about their military conquest 40 years ago. Again, verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Their redemption story that we're hearing in Joshua 2, all the way 40 years ago, their redemption story shook a nation. Their redemption story took a Canaanite woman, Rahab, coming from a system of beliefs that worshiped many gods and had her declaring, your God is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. The wording from Rahab for the word Lord is significant. She uses the name that the Hebrew people would have used, Yahweh. This name of God was a decoration of holiness. The Israelites deemed that this name is so holy that they had great hesitations and reservations to even speak this name. Rahab is not simply spouting some facts about a holy God, the one God. To save herself when destruction is coming, she has come to an understanding as best as she can that the God of Israel, the God who worked 40 years prior, has melted the hearts of her people. It is in fact she is stating the God to be worshiped. As I read and reread and reread this moment in scripture through the lens of redemption, it gave me encouragement to remind you the story of redemption invites us all into the story. Because let's be honest, if you were to craft a story of redemption that would span the test of time for 
all generations and come into this word, you might have skipped this whole moment, right? Spies, a brothel, harlot, lies, hiding. Yet here in this story is the story of redemption and it invites us all into the story. God's word not only included the story, but Rahab's heroic moment is referenced in numerous moments in scripture to come. Matthew chapter one, the genealogy of Jesus. It says, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. They're backtracking the story, the genealogy. And Rahab, her story is there. In Hebrews 11, verse 31, a chapter that many call the, the all-star of faith, Rahab's moment shines through again. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And in the book of James, Rahab's faith is heralded as evidence of her faith. The story of redemption, it invites us all into the story. Please understand, when you read this story, redemption is not reserved for the righteous. Redemption is not kept on the top shelf only for those who have enough education to reach it. Redemption is not locked in a sterile container somewhere, waiting until we are all free of sin before we can open it and embrace it. Redemption is not for one people group or ethnic group. Redemption is a gift to the broken. It is an offering. Redemption is an offering to the hurting. Redemption is a gift to the grieving. It's humility to the proud. It's life-giving to those who have a shattered view of themselves. Redemption through Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of sins. It is the riches of God's grace. It is the abundant covering. Redemption is full of insight and wisdom. Redemption is God's plan to unite, and it brings all things under the plan of God. I love that Rahab's story of redemption. I love that it was built upon the movement of God from 40 years ago. And that while all the Israelites are wandering in disobedience, the land is waiting to be taken. And at least one woman living a questionable lifestyle has come to understand the power of God. Rahab says in verse 12, Now then, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. There was a deal made between Rahab and the spies. The deal was this. If Rahab hangs a scarlet cord outside her window, which is on the city wall, when they attack, Rahab and her family will be saved. They will not be harmed. Now, it's important to note that scarlet, crimson red, was also used earlier in the Bible to show a sacrifice for sins was about to be made. As this rope would hang out this window, it represented future and salvation for 
this once bad reputation, bad choice, sin-filled, non-God-honoring lady to be saved from defeat. This woman had faith. Faith in this God that she had heard about 40 years before this moment, 40 years in their experience before. And now she had a chance to act upon this faith by risking her life in obedience. But the story of redemption through the one true God doesn't end there. The spies leave, they go into hiding for three days and they return to give their report to Joshua. This is important. Verse 23, then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. They told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Where'd they get their boldness from? Through the redemption of Rahab. They're encouraged and empowered because of the testimony about God from a very unlikely source. They even quote her, their hearts have melted. I have to wonder though, do you think in this moment that Joshua looked around to anyone and said, I told you guys this 40 years ago? But no matter what happened in that moment, the people grasped the power of redemption. And now they grasp the fervor of Joshua's statement from chapter one, be strong and courageous, not on their own power, but on that of the Lord, their God of heaven and earth. They claimed to be strong and courageous at the end of chapter one, but how much deeper did that truth ring now that the spies had returned, that they had shared the miraculous moment of redemption, that they had experienced through Rahab? How much stronger? How much more courageous are they knowing that their Red Sea history from 40 years ago still shook the hearts of the people in Jericho? This entire story left me asking a question. Am I strong and courageous in standing upon my redemption through Jesus Christ? Am I bold enough in sharing my story, be strong and courageous? Do I realize the power of my redemption story, the forgiveness of my sins, the movement and the power of God in my life? Do I believe that redemption story is enough? That the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who disciplined, the God who offered grace, the God who orchestrated an unexpected character to remind God's children of the power of God, the God who offered redemption in all of these moments is also the God who offered redemption to other people in Scripture. Murderers, adulterers, prideful, fallen leaders, this God of redemption is the God who reminds us, don't underestimate your story of redemption. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And in doing so, made known his will, according to his purpose in Christ. Don't underestimate your story of redemption. Because if we allow our story to be told, we have the tremendous opportunity to point people to the God of redemption, 
the God who melts the hearts of those who hear of his power, his discipline, and of his grace. May our stories of redemption be told to future generations, not to boast in anything that we have done, but what God has done through and for us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, I come to you today and I'm thankful for each of our redemption stories. I know some think of their redemption stories and think that it's nowhere near as dramatic as Rahab's. It's nowhere near as dramatic as the people of Israel. It's nowhere near as dramatic of those moments that we have seen already and will see in the weeks to come. And there may be truth to that as we read the story, but the reality is this. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. We have that redemption. All of us have sinned. All of us are separated from God, but each of us can experience redemption through Jesus Christ. And that is a magnificent story. God, help us not to discount our story because it's not as dramatic. It is not full of as many up and down moments. Help us to see that each of our stories are perfectly placed within us to be used for your glory. Our stories, our background, our moments, our failures, even our successes are used for us to tell your story, that you've redeemed us through Jesus Christ. God, help us to see that discipline and grace and the difficult moments in our stories are your story. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, I want to share with you another announcement. On Monday morning, we will be sending out a church-wide email that will include an attachment for new church bylaws that have been in the work and the plan for over two years. Due to COVID and the difficulties surrounding our being able to meet, have business meetings, we knew that the timing was not right to attempt to communicate bylaws being updated and meetings to be had. It has been 18 years since our last bylaw update. It's not an exciting thing to dig through bylaws, but the biggest transition in our new bylaws is the inclusion of the office of elder to our leadership structure. This group would serve alongside the pastor, elder, in decision-making, prayer, and sign legal documents much the same as our trustees have done in previous bylaws. While the wording of elder might be new in our church, it is deeply rooted uh, in various moments in the early church. And our desire is to increase the number of those who make the decisions of our church instead of 99% of those landing on one person or one office, the pastor. This is our way of becoming more accountable to our church with more people not fewer being invited into the decisions that typically land upon, again, one person. But this is also our opportunity to be have a more biblically outlined structure in our leadership. If you don't receive the email, you can call the office on Monday of next week. You can mail, we can mail you a copy of those documents or email them to you. If you have any questions about those, you can email me directly at Michael at richfork.com. I will address those questions over the next six or seven weeks as a part of our videos and on Sundays during our time together. 
Then in August, our business meeting, we will discuss them as a church and vote on them on August the 15th alongside our 2021-22 nominated committee report. But once again, I wanted to make you aware that this email report was coming your way. In case it doesn't, you can reach out to us. Thank you for continuing to use this resource of watching our teaching time online as a tool while you're on vacation and while you're not able to attend worship service or you're watching this message at a much later time. Whatever the case, don't underestimate your story. Don't underestimate your story of redemption because God invites all of us in his story of redemption.